Greetings, I'm Steve Van Core, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. Each episode, we interview a city or county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government right here in the Sunshine State. Today, we have a really great guest, uh, and I have to disclose up front, a very good friend of mine. And I came to know Sheila through personal, uh, not professional things, but I then learned that she's right in the wheelhouse of the FCC. Man, let me show you how, tell you how I learned that. If you are in Broward County, you'll notice as you go from city to city, and there's dozens of cities in Broward County, sometimes there's a textural change to what you're seeing. If you head west into northwest Broward, you hit a little town, this little city called Coconut Creek. It's just west of Pompano Beach. And when you're driving on the road, all of a sudden you notice complete streets, you notice bike paths, you notice winding sidewalks, you notice more trees, more of a canopy. It has a prettier look. It has a more culturally, uh, more cultural depth to it. And it's not just another suburb on the map. Well, I learned that one of the instigators of all this, of all this evilness, is a woman named Sheila Rose. Sheila is currently the deputy city manager for the city of Coconut Creek, but she's essentially been in that position for a little over 20 years because before that she was the director of sustainable development. And for those of you who are interested in physically transforming your city to make it uh, cooler, and by cooler I mean temperature-wise, to have better water management, to have more park access, and to create a better quality of life, there's no better person that I could think of to interview than my friend, Sheila Rose. Sheila, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Steve. So when you drive into the city of Coconut Creek, there's this real tangible difference, more trees, more parks, more green spaces. At some level, it's almost shocking, and, and that's not an accident. It's not like somewhere along the line, Coconut Creek popped up. In, in relatively short, how did that come to be? How, how is it that Coconut Creek is, is a different different community than, than some of the surrounding neighborhoods? Well, I would suggest that, you know, 20, 25 years ago, Coconut Creek was sort of the middle between Pompano and Coral Springs. And uh, there were pockets of development, um, but there really wasn't a clear image. So I think um, it was an opportunity, uh, kind of a blank slate to create an image that um, could be carried on for years. So it was an opportunity to, to really um, dig our teeth in and set a direction. Um, just in, in city life, you know, 20 years isn't that long. Right, right. And so you guys set out and said, this is who we want to be and just and then made the decision over time. And, and that requires, of course, continuity, right? You can't just do it and add a few trees here or there, a few sidewalks here and then suddenly you're transformed. So it, it began with a long range vision. Well, and I think that's an, an interesting way to put it. It takes not only a long range vision, it takes um, developing sort of a culture that uh, everyone buys into that long range vision. You know, Coconut Creek is... Um, takes pride in its environmental sustainability. And that doesn't just involve the city commission. Um, it runs all the way through our public works crews, our landscape crews, and anyone that, that's involved in Coconut Creek has bought into that mission and carries it forward. 
Oh, that's interesting. So you don't have one department saying, well, we just got to build this, you know, uh, utility easement over here and, and irrespective of what the city vision is, they're all bought. So you had to get everybody, each department, each silo to break out and say, whatever we do, whatever we engage in, whether it's the parks department, the utility department, the roads department, to everybody is part of this planning s- concept to say, we're going to look like this. And, you know, that's a that's kind of an interesting way to put it. Um, we had the long range vision, but in order to get that buy in, it took, you know, some of those sort of kitschy things that we did. The Butterfly Capital of the World campaign um, where individual departments bought into it because they saw, you know, how simple it was to to develop a butterfly garden and, and how simple it was to preserve the environment. If it was those small steps. So it took a long time to to have it sort of transform into what is Coconut Creek today, um, but really what it takes is the continuity of um, vision. And so some of the things that you guys engage in is a new developer comes in and says, hey, we've got this 30-acre pause, so we want to build, you know, a, a condo complex or a, you know, mini mall or something. What, what what happens at that point when they come in, they say, hey, we've got this land, and now we sit down with the city you know, for permitting. What is, is there a series of steps you engage in to help them stay with that vision as well? Well, we've been, in Coconut Creek, we've been blessed because our city commission has been very supportive of the staff. And, um, you know, what we found is that the developers um, have to bring a project a long way to satisfy the staff. And so that by the time it gets to the formal approval process, everyone's pretty happy with the project. Um, so we make it you know, attractive for the developer because we do keep timeframes reasonable um, and easy to work with. Um, but we've laid out our expectations in advance. Um, they know what Coconut Creek is. And I think they're locating here because of Coconut Creek. Um, Isn't that the irony? On one hand, if you're being short-sighted or myopic about your own development, you're like, oh, what a pain. I got to put wavy sidewalks. And by the way, folks, the wavy sidewalks, it's a creek, right? Coconut right. Creek. And so instead of just putting in the straight, you know, either asphalt or concrete sidewalk, they got to be a little. And at first you're like, this is expensive. This is going to cost me more money. But in the in the long run, it makes the development more valuable. It makes more people want to live there and it, and it raises everybody's uh, standard of living. Yes, that's, you know, it is some, we do get pushback, uh, but what we're finding is that every developer that comes in has a particular product that they have in mind and we're always eager to work with them um, as long as they understand our priorities. And, and principally our priorities are, you know, the public facing realm. I mean, what's, what is the public use? What does the public see? You know, the, the public sees the building facades, um, they see the landscape and they see the sidewalks. So we really ask that those areas have the priority um, and the continuity so that they connect. And you're not asking them, I mean, you, a lot of times they come to you and I know because we've done development work where I'm building something, but hey, I, I the, the holding pond, for example, very simple requirements you've laid out. I want to try something different. I'm still going to capture my water and meet these standards, but I need you guys to make some exceptions for me. And that's where the trade the trading begins, right? The horse trading begins. Okay, we're going to work with you on your pond, but I need you to put wider sidewalks over here so it could become like a bike path. Is that 
Well, and it's, you know, you use an interesting example. Um, The water storage is, you know, is so critical in this area. Um, One of the things that we found is that bioswales capture the water. They do the appropriate filtration, but they also provide for really interesting landscape spaces that that can be somebody's front yard or a front yard, for instance, of a multifamily project. Um, So we can't just wipe away um, the percent requirements um, for the volume of water that's stored, but how it's handled, whether it's handled in a cistern or a bioswale, we have a lot of flexibility. All right. What's a bioswale? Well, a bioswale is um, is sort of a a French a fancy French drain where the water is stored underground. But in order for it to get into that underground storage area, it filters through um, landscape areas with plants and stones uh, that makes it not only you know so that it doesn't appear as a retention pond. You know, it becomes part of the landscape. Well, with all due respect to my engineer friends, if everything was done through the engineering department, there would be all these square holding ponds with cement sides. <laughs> you know, exactly. And I think, you know, we all, you know, we all suffered through the 80s when everybody felt like berms were the right way to hide parking lots. And what we're finding now is that berms really separate, uh, that, that really hide building facades. And that if you can showcase the building facades, um, berming that land up, only creates more need for water storage. So, so maybe a bioswale is a better solution. And it's what's interesting, I got to believe water and the hydrology of the area is one of the most important things. And for those of the listeners who are not familiar with the area, it used to be in the Everglades. And uh, I guess I, I guess she'll correct me if I'm wrong, everything west of the Turnpike essentially was either fringe Everglades or in the Everglades itself. So you guys are really a city that was conceived of, I don't want to overstate it, but in a swamp. Well, I, I think that is overstating it a little bit, but I think the bigger issue is looking forward at building resiliency. I mean, we are, um, we are between the Everglades and the ocean, but what that means is that there's pressure um, on the drainage system that's coming from both sides. So I think, you know, our history as a swamp is is a little overstated, but the need to develop a resilient community and make sure that we're addressing not only what we thought was, you know, the 25-year flood or the 100-year flood, it's addressing what we're going to see, you know, in the next five to 10 years as, as the realistic storm events. So we really are focused on making sure we're developing to address climate issues Well, it's interesting, too, because if you look in the eastern part of the county, both in Palm Beach, even up to Martin and down in in, uh, Miami-Dade, they're in a crisis. I mean, you're 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 looking at twelve hundred miles of canals in Fort Lauderdale that are overflowing with a high tide. It could be a perfectly sunny day and you've got water in the streets and you guys can see that immediately to your east. And, you know, it's coming from your west. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, having having to be mindful every single day. This is no longer an abstract concept of how do you manage that groundwater? Where is it going to go? People have to live somewhere, and you, and you guys are, are are using that. It's also interesting that. So I guess it was in the late '90s, um, Broward County passed a a, a, prop, a sales tax to buy land, and they partnered with the cities. It's my understanding that Coconut Creek was one of the most aggressive in partnering with the county to buy up land for parks and recreation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Well, and that was, you know, there was a, a bond issue in 1990, and some of the properties were acquired at that time. And then there was a following uh, bond issue in the 2000s. And Coconut Creek is, was in that unique um, growth period where we had some vacant land that had not yet been developed. And in fact, it was for the most part along our commercial corridors. So there was a lot of concern about you know, undermining our tax base. Um, but our city commission was open to the idea that and, and really had bought into the culture. You know, we call it a culture of green excellence. The butterfly capital of the world has to be a place where green is celebrated. And they agreed to support the acquisition of any of those commercial properties, particularly along Hillsborough Boulevard. And, um, you know, now we have trails connecting through them. Um, you know, it's they're just such a beautiful asset. And, and, you know, what's interesting about that, short-sightedly, you'd say, oh, we're going to take this property off the tax rolls. We're not going to get the revenue, and therefore we can't provide other city services. Uh, so we want to grow. We want to keep them on so we can grow the local government. But what you guys have found is almost the opposite. When you, when you build a park, when you set aside land, when you create uh, hiking, biking, recreational corridors throughout your community, Property values go up, both commercial and residential, because of scarcity, and it makes it a much more desirable place to live day in and day out. And the net gain far outstrips the net loss of that short-term view of property taxes. Well, and and you know it was um, opportunistic. We had a, a a square mile of property right in the middle of town that was underutilized, well, actually it was farm fields. It still is farm fields. And when all of this land acquisition started, um, we took the sort of aggressive step of implementing an overlay district with design standards. And we put the land use entitlements in place to make that one square mile our downtown. Uh, so it's meant to be compact. Um, and we've taken all of the development rights effectively um, from those commercial properties. And we've aggregated them in the center of town so that we can have sort of a vibrant mixed use downtown area while we preserve um, those more sensitive areas. So there's several groups. You talked about the reaction from the commission that they've stayed on board with the strategic vision. How has the public reacted to this? You know, it's funny because the public assumes that there would be no less and they no longer will accept anything that is not consistent um, with that vision. Um, they all buy into um, the, the idea of the butterfly capital of the world and that they live in the butterfly capital of the world and they expect us to uphold that. So it's sort of become, um, you know, self-fulfilling. Uh, the public now expects uh, no less than really quality development and that, um, not just a nod to the environment, real focused um, initiatives that support environmental sustainability. So that's interesting. So you set a strategic core sometime in the 90s. As the public moves in there, they start to see the benefits of it. They like it. And then it becomes politically popular to do what was just a few years ago politically challenging. 
And so then it becomes more reflective of the commission. And then your then your charges as you grow almost almost becomes a little tougher, right? Because you <laughs> right now with a housing shortage and the bill, it's it's you're you're constantly having to negotiate to keep that vision going. Well, and it's interesting because the the uh, assemblage of all of the sort of development rights into the middle of town um, makes great sense from a smart growth perspective. Uh, but now as the community has built up, um, you know, their expectation, um, they're all very excited. It seems that the public is very excited about the growth and the development of the downtown area. But I'm sure it will be challenging when we do see actual development occurring in that area. And so how has the development community responded to this? Have they been okay with this? I, the development community um, is, I think they're excited to work in Coconut Creek. I mean, I think if, you know, they're always knocking around looking for additional land opportunities. Uh, there isn't much left to be, be developed in Coconut Creek with the exception of that central square mile and a piece of property down in the south part of town. Um, so there's very few uh, vacant developable properties. Um, there is some move towards redevelopment, and that's where we've done such a, you know, such a neat master plan up on Hillsborough Boulevard, connecting, you know, all of those natural areas with trails and uh, creating sort of that um, naturehood component of the city. Yeah, and that's what I was going to go next, which is, so there were obviously people living there, developments done before this vision became uh, real. So at some level, and clearly there's challenges, but at some level, a new development is easier to shape what it's going to look like than retrofitting older areas. What is your challenge in doing this, imparting this vision into areas that have already been developed? Is there is there redevelopment money? Is there uh, other kind of projects like CRA projects and whatnot that, that can help make those older communities come in line with this vision? You know, that's a, that's a great question because um, Coconut Creek was awarded um, the Broward Redevelopment Grant a million dollars to buy up a piece of property that has had historic contamination and redevelop that property. And part of the um, goal of redeveloping that property was to enhance this concept of the naturehood. So as part of the development of what will now be a banquet hall in that facility, um, the garden area opens up to one of the natural areas and um, the property is exclusive because of its location in the middle of a natural area um, where it was historically and, and you know, sort of candidly, it was a swingers club um, that had been there since the 50s. So in the very near future, we will see the redevelopment of that old swingers club that was in the boondocks become, you know, sort of a, the go-to venue for weddings and events, small-scale weddings um, in the forested area. Very, very nice. So which came first, the strategic vision or the desire to, the, the idea to call it the butterfly capital of the world? I think the the strategic vision came first, and the idea of the butterfly capital of the world was the way to communicate it. Um, you know, it's very hard to say no to a butterfly, and it's very easy to communicate the idea that um, you know butterflies need the clean environment, they need open space, they need plants. You know, so it was a very easy way to communicate it. But and I love has, the fact that in your greenscaping and, and your requirements with your developers and stuff, you and homeowners, you encourage and, and, and enforce 
adding more and more pollinator bushes and, and, and landscaping that accommodates obviously not just butterflies, but other pollinators as well. And that brings in birds and all kinds of stuff. And it's kind of, kind of neat when you open up the window in the morning in Coconut Creek, you can hear the wildlife. It's wonderful. And, you know, every year we do our free tree giveaway, um, over 20 years of the free tree giveaway. And we are not only give away um, canopy trees, we give away wildlife attracting uh, bushes and always some type of butterfly um, attracting plant to get to continue to get that hook in, uh, get the kids excited about the butterfly gardening, um, you know, and grow us another crop of sustainable, loving citizens. Well, when I when I heard about the the, the tree giveaways, I, at first I was like, you know, scratching my head. Then I realized what you're doing is you're encouraging people to buy into the mission. You're encouraging people to plant these bushes. They get to plant them themselves, so you don't. And then what happens is that that improves your water uptake. It improves your landscaping and improves every time you, if you plant 10 bushes in your backyard, that's that much less um, grass. And with less grass, you have less fertilizer and less stuff flowing into the waterways and the the canals and the creeks and less algae blooms and stuff like that. And so it's, it's not just pretty, it's not just good for the birds and the bees, so to speak, but it's also good for the people who live there. You know, and it's so difficult to communicate that to the, all of the, the engineering crew of the world that do the calculations showing how much water storage you need in a particular area. But if you just were to look at the surface area of the leaves of a tree, it slows down the water, giving it time to percolate into the soil. So we really do think that, you know, the tree canopy has the long-term benefit of slowing down the water and making sure we have time to filter it before it gets into the aquifer. Yeah, this reminds me of a composting initiative that a city had done, really pushed for composting. And I'm like, why? What's the big deal? What? How do you care? So, well, A, that's less, uh, our landfill is getting full and we're going to have to buy another 700 acres to decide, you know, that's going to be expensive and costly and, you know, another, nobody wants a landfill in their neighborhood. So it's going to be politically difficult, but also, you know, when you don't put those eggshells, coffee grinds, coffee filters into your your guzzler and your sink, we don't have to process it at our wastewater treatment plant. And that also saves money. And, you know, so more people compost, it's going to save everybody more money. I love it. Yeah. We, you know, we are all struggling right now with recycling and, um, you know, the changing recycling market and they're no longer being a market for our recyclables. And it's such a difficult issue. And we just started talking about really upping our mission to get backyard re- uh, composting um, incentivized around the city. And, you know, what an opportunity just to, you know, give people those black magic boxes that disappear I, as, a, as a former composter, while I was raising my three boys, it's, it is magic. You, you, you dumping celery stalks, you know, tomato ends, you name it, coffee grinds, uh, eggshells, et cetera. And you go out there the next day and it's like, wait, I, I it's gone. This, it's gone. Where did it go? It's like the worms are coming in and they're stealing it. Like, like, you know, those, the, the tunnels in Vietnam, right? And they're under your ground and they're stealing your, your garbage and they're putting it into the dirt. And by the way, at the end of the season, when you harvest that dirt for your garden, oh my gosh, it's like, the, it's, it's white the and fluffy and just, uh, and the plants go crazy. Uh, it's, it is, it is a very cool thing. 
You mentioned recycling. I know that's a problem facing cities all across America. In fact, all across the uh, all of the West, because China said we're no longer going to buy your your used scrap metal. We're no longer going to buy your mattress springs. We're no longer going to buy your plastics. What are you doing about the recycling issue? I mean, do you have to just put stuff in the landfill? Or are you finding market? Well, I, I would tell you in Broward County that is a hugely difficult issue. Um, you know, we have, unfortunately, uh, one of the largest urban landfills as our neighbor, and it continues to operate. Um, there used to be a uh, resource recovery plant at that location where they actually burnt the garbage um, and created power, um, but it seems to be cheaper to landfill the waste, so we no longer have access to that resource recovery plant. Um, recycling has, you know, the market has dropped out and the public is not as good at recycling as they should be. Um, you know, the contamination rates when we went to single stream recycling just makes that impractical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody what do you thinks, do with your recycles when you pick them up now? Do they just have to go to the landfill? Right now we are transporting our recyclable materials to the South Waste Energy Plant. Um, they're burned and they become that does contribute towards our recycling goals. Uh, but we certainly hope we can do better in the future. I get it. I get it. Um, we also so have a, a neat, we just added um, a cardboard and a recycling drop-off facility right here at city hall. And we man it anytime it's open so that we don't have the contamination. So oh, that, interesting. that's working well. Yeah. What do you guys class? you get about five, you're allowed like 5% to be organic. Right now, this is this requires um, inspection of anything that is deposited into our recycling facility here at City Hall. Uh, so it's clean cardboard. You know, the corrugated cardboard, there's a great market for that. Okay. Uh, um, so all those Amazon boxes, um, you can drop off at City Hall. <laughs> all those big smiles coming to my door every day. Right. Um, you also have Butterfly World. Uh, in Coconut Creek, which I love the the duality of that. You've got an actual, like, a little butterfly garden uh, walk through, and you see the indoor butterflies and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, what a beautiful facility that is. I don't know if you've had a chance to experience it with the uh, the music as you approach. Um, you know, it's, it's a sort of built as a tourist attraction, uh, but one of the neatest things about Butterfly World is their garden center. I don't know if you've had a chance to visit, mm -hmm. but... They also sell the butterfly attracting plants. You know, I got to believe it. Once upon a time, uh, the police chief was told, hey, we're going to put butterflies on the side of the uh, police cars. <laughs> and they're like, wait a second. We're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to be, you know, we're going to put butterflies on the side of our car. And so when you drive through Coconut Creek and you see the, the police cars, you see the butterflies on the side of the car. I love it. You know, that's a that's a fun example of just how long, it, you know, it took a long, you know, a long shift in the, the culture, but the culture is led by the city commission and the staff and they all buy into it. Um, you know, once, you know, once it caught hold, uh, there's no going back. That's really cool. And uh, last two questions. I know we're running out of time, but the you have a new park uh, naming ceremony coming up. It's a personal issue to both you and I. You want to tell us yes. a little bit about that park? Well, the Hillsborough Pineland is one of the natural areas that we were talking about earlier. Um, in part, it was acquired with one of those bond issues, and it was expanded with the later bond issue. And 
I'm thrilled to show you some of the trail connections that we're building that will make that area um, trail hopping available. Um, but my dear friend, uh, Kristen Jacobs, uh, former state representative, former mayor of Broward County, uh, but in my mind, you know, also one of my best, best friends yes. um, is one of being mine. honored um, with the renaming of that park to the Kristen D. Jacobs Natural Area. And uh, as I, my understanding, she had a hand in helping renovate that area because it was, I guess, an old wetland that had been drained because of nearby development had to hold their water and you guys worked hand in glove to help renovate that, put a lot of butterfly bushes in it. But also one of the things I like about that is you guys didn't just say, we're going to set aside this land for conservation purposes, which there's, that's very important for the wildlife and for water recharge and water cleaning and stuff. But you said, you know what, we're going to make this green space also community friendly. So people are going to want to take their children there. They're going to want to go hiking and biking in there. And I, I think that's kudos to you guys and to Kristen for that. Yeah, and it's a, you know, I remember her calling excitedly, telling me about the red-tailed hawk that she'd seen at that park. So, you know, she was there, um, the neighbors are there, there's a back gate from the neighborhood, and a, a water pump so that the wetlands in that area are rehydrated, thanks to her involvement. Excellent. I love, I love hearing that, and I can't wait for the ribbon cutting. I guess it's in just a, two weeks. Uh, last question, Sheila. We may have already covered this because this has been, you know, a lot of our interviews are about uh, governing, about tactics of governing, about some wisdom about governing. But we've spent this talking about Coconut Creek in particular and how you guys set a vision. You got buy-in from the commission and now you have buy-in from the public and there were things you've done to keep that vision going. But is there anything about Coconut Creek we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I, you know, the probably the best thing about Coconut Creek is the attitude of civility. Um, you know, our city commission notoriously gets along well and supports the staff. Um, and I think that's probably the thing that that is the most important uh, to keeping the mission moving forward. Uh, the staff feels like they can bring ideas forward, however funny they may be. Um, you know, at the time, the idea of naming Coconut Creek the butterfly capital of the world sounded a little silly, um, but it, it really um, encourages that type of risk taking. Uh, so that's that's really what Coconut Creek is, is, is a community that gets along well, uh, that we communicate with each other and support each other. No, I liked it. I liked the way you described it because you have a vision, but you need some implementation of the vision. And that implementation was butterflies and butterflies as you said they're friendly they're pretty they're nice but they also are a barometer species in a suburban community and if you have lots of butterfly bushes you'll also then have lots of birds who like to eat the butterflies and you'll have other <laughs> pollinators that'll come to those butterfly plants as well and it creates a healthy vibrant uh, garden i love the variety of lizards <laughs> <laughs> in <laughs> Coconut Creek, uh, I know a lot of them are invasive species, but the yeah. variety that are just hunting bees and hunting whatever is just is, is kind of neat. Uh, Sheila, thank you. I know you're very busy. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we Always really my pleasure. Your vision, and hopefully other city uh, managers, assistant city managers, deputy city managers will learn from your experience uh, and expertise. Uh, thanks for listening. This is Steve Van Core. And this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for 
the Florida City and County Management Association. Thanks for being with us.